you get to help sellers a lot quicker because, you know, I've had deals that I got the seller to sign with me on Friday and I got a buyer to sign with me on Monday. That doesn't happen in regular real estate. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. Hey everybody, Sarah here and you are listening to Where Should I Invest? And today's guest is going to be Whitney Nicely. And Whitney lives and invests in the U.S. and she's got some really unique ways of investing that is a combination of two strategies. So you guys are actually going to hear about something you don't see a lot of. So she's doing something crazy, something pretty unique, and she's able to do this without using her own money. So really, really awesome. It's very interesting. And so definitely listen to what her strategy is and She's got some great advice and some great insights as well. Whitney is also a property investor, speaker, real estate coach. And before she decided to quit her nine to five, Whitney scraped by on $24,000 a year working at a desk job, just standard regular desk job, living on her parents' couch. And that was only in 2013. And so now she owns more than 2.5 million in real estate assets. And so she went from no investments to 19 houses, 19 apartment units, and seven chunks of land in less than three years. And she was able to do that with her really unique strategy in not having to use any of her own money. So she started by spending $1,500 on a piece of ugly dirt land and that currently actually breaks in nearly 10,000 a year from that one property. She also teaches hundreds of women how they can use money without having to use their own money, not having to worry about credit or banks or financing and how they can get it done. And she's negotiated nearly 60 real estate deals and has generated more than 25,000 in passive income each month. So really impressive bio and a really impressive strategy. So guys, listen to that. Let me know what you think. Send me some comments and don't forget to rate and review the podcast. And other than that, guys, I want to thank you for those of you that have emailed me, reached out and I'm here to help, right? So I think some of you guys have actually reached out, asked me for some different things like my questions that I ask when screening tenants. I'm totally fine with sharing that with you guys. So if there are things that you're looking for, things that you need, please feel free to ask and send me an email at sarah at sarahlarby.com or go to my website, which is sarahlarby.com or my Instagram, sarahlarby 8 and with that said, let's get on to the show and meet Whitney. Hey, Whitney. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me, Sarah. This is going to be fun. It is. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on today. So where in the U.S. are you right now? Right now, I'm in Georgia. I was in Tennessee yesterday, and I'll be in New York on Friday. Okay, perfect. So this is a Canadian podcast, but I always like to have some American content because there is a whole other side of opportunities as well. And I was hoping that we can discuss that today. Okay, cool. So before we get started, can you give the listeners a little bit about your background and how you got started in real estate investing? 
Yeah. So my mom was a real estate investor and she would buy houses with cash and then rent them out and hope and pray one day she got her money back. And I needed more of a strategy. I needed more of a plan. I needed a system that I could follow and stay organized. So I tried it my mom's way and I spent my entire life savings. I absolutely went broke trying to get rich in real estate. And then I got creative and I bought two deals in 2013 the way my mom had kind of taught me how, just kind of hunting and pecking along. Then in 14, 2014, I did 14 deals in nine months. So, wow. I mean, really got out there and started getting creative and getting the deals done. So I want to know how you went from like two to, you said 14, 13? Yeah, well, I stopped using my money. Well, I started finding people that were basically tired of being landlords and they were tired of toilets and tenants. They were tired of chasing people to get the rent. They were just tired. And I set up a lease option with them so that I could be making the payments. They'd still get their monthly income. They'd get their mortgage payment made. But I would be buying the house. So I would be in charge of any kind of maintenance or any kind of repairs or making sure that the house actually had somebody in it. You know, I would take on the risk. Yeah, that's really interesting. So in Canada, we also have that option. It's called a vendor take back. So where the seller holds the mortgage rather than the bank. And so I'm just curious because we haven't really talked about it too much on the show yet. How do you even set that up and how do you even convince somebody to do it that route? So a lease option is basically just a really fancy rental agreement. And it gives me the right to buy the house in a you know certain amount of time. For a price we agree upon today. Now, any bank I know in the US, they don't care if you rent your house. They just want you to make your mortgage payment. They don't care if you sell your house. They just want to be paid off at the end. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm just doing both of those at the same time. I'm renting it and buying it and I will cash them out when I'm ready. Oh, I see. So you're basically renting to own them. Yeah, oh. exactly. Okay. So that's actually a rent to own. Okay. Very interesting. So you're like, you're the tenant in the house. With the seller, I'm the tenant. With the tenant that I put in the house, I'm the landlord. Oh. So I basically just broker the rental deal. Hmm. Wow. Okay. So that that's really cool. So how did you even get into that in the first place? I went to a boot camp. Some boring old dude was teaching about it. And I suffered through it for a week every month for a whole year. And then I had to go back home and translate it into, you know, me and then sell it. And I was doing things his way, but I was doing it my way. And that's the biggest thing is that I had to figure out how to do it my way and put my own flair on it and be able to talk to my sellers the way I wanted and needed to talk to them instead of how he wanted me to talk to them. Because men and women, we talk different. We negotiate different. We have different pain points. We have different ways of relating to each other. And I was trying to do it the man's way. And I'm not a man, so it didn't come off the right way. I needed to do it the lady's way. And once I figured that out, that's when we really started rocking and rolling. Really cool. So are you able to share some details? So, for example, like when you started doing it your way, what does that look like? I mean, even just from finding the property to closing on it. Can you walk us through that? Yeah. So as a lady, I was actually talking to a lot of other ladies. And instead of going straight for the kill and making sure that they were going to give me this property and do this deal with me, I made the real estate kind of the thing on the back burner. I made sure that this lady knew I was her friend. I made sure that I knew this lady's name and I knew why she actually wanted to sell the property because a lot of times sellers don't want to sell because 
they want a bunch of money. Right. They want a bunch of money because they want to redo their kitchen or they want to stop the midnight calls because they actually want to go to Europe for three weeks and they can't because people are calling them at all times and days. Or they want to sell a house or they need some money coming in because they're sending their kid to public school and he's getting beat up on the playground and they want to have enough money to send him to private school. It's not about the money. They're going to use the money for something else. And if I can figure out what that other thing is and I can help make that happen by buying the house, then I'm winning. Yeah, some really great advice. So once you figure that out and you've talked to the family and, you know, maybe they want to redo their kitchen or whatever, and you say, okay, I want to buy the house from you, then what happens? I start making the payments in about three months. Okay. Because I need to be able to put it out there and market it. I need to make sure that this deal is going to float. Okay. And I also like to give the house a chance to actually sell. Just because I set up a lease option, if I find somebody that just wants to buy it, I'll sell it to them. Hmm. That's really interesting. So to me, it's like one of the most creative strategies I've ever heard because you're taking, you know, a few pieces of different strategies and you're putting it together to make it really your own, which is really cool. Also, I make three offers on every house and I teach my ladies how to do that, too, because a lot of real estate agents, a lot of wholesalers, a lot of other investors, they're one trick ponies. They only know how to do one thing. Well, I'll go in and I'll make three or four different offers on the same house so that they don't need to talk to three or four different people. Mm -hmm. I can do three or four different methods. Do you have it with your name or do you have it with different corporation numbers or how does that work when you do the offers? I do the offers in my name Okay. because I'm just making offers. Now, which company ends up in, that depends on how quickly the deal goes. If I just sell it, I keep it in one company. If I keep it for five years, I put it in another company. If I'm keeping it for 15 years, I'll put it in another company. So basically, these sellers are going to hold the mortgages for you and then you have options. So you have an option of, I guess, you renting it or you renting it out to somebody that, I don't know, at some point wants to be a like a buyer. Like would your renter ever be somebody that buys the house in those three to five years that you would put in? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I get five to 10 years with my sellers, but I only give my buyers one year, sometimes two years, depending on how much money they put down to move into the house. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, so, so I could go through three or four or five buyers mm -hmm. and I can make as much money for them moving in as when they cash out. So I make money three different ways. When people move in, they pay me ten or $15,000 every month. I'm getting not a lot of money, but, you know, two or three hundred. And, you know, if you got 10 houses, that's two or three grand a month that you don't have to work for. And then I can usually sell it for 10 or 20,000 as a back end payday, too. So I'm getting paid up front every month and when they get a mortgage. OK, interesting. And so you have I read somewhere that you have 19 houses, 19 apartments. I do. I've actually been selling a bunch of my houses. I've had uh, one get cashed out of their lease option. I had another one. It was empty. Somebody came through and just bought it. So I'm actually down to 15 houses and I have two closings this week. So I'm trying by the end of the year to have all my houses paid off free and clear. Very cool. So what's the advantage of doing these lease options in your opinion? You don't have to put any money down. You don't have to go to the bank. You don't have to have anybody check your credit. You get to help sellers a lot quicker 
because you know I've had deals that I got the seller to sign with me on Friday and I got a buyer to sign with me on Monday. That doesn't happen in regular real estate. You can't move faster than that in regular real estate. No. So I made, you know, five grand over the weekend, which doesn't really happen in regular real estate. Right. Absolutely. So what are some downsides to what you're doing, do you think? You get to spend more time with your husband. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So because you're doing lease options, which is also known as rent to own, and because you're getting a seller to carry the mortgage, which is a vendor take back rather than a bank, you're really getting the best of all the worlds. And so are you also benefiting from not having to do a lot of the maintenance because some of the tenants that you're going to put into these properties are acting as renters to soon be owners? Absolutely. But I don't really buy dumpy, depressed houses. I buy happy houses and happy neighborhoods with happy people. I mean, it might need carpet, but that's, you know, up to somebody's taste. Absolutely. So what about like just regular maintenance? I don't know, like a faucet's leaking or a dishwasher. They needs replacing. So they fix it. Okay. Yeah. So there is because I'm going for people that want to be buyers. So I'm training them that when they have their mortgage, they're not going to call the bank to come fix it. So don't call me either. Okay. So do you have like two agreements then like a lease, like a standard rental agreement and then, uh, you know, rent to own or lease to own agreement in addition? You can do it that way. It depends on your attorney. My attorney puts them all into one. Okay. But you can totally do that different ways. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And just to get an idea of the properties that you're purchasing, like, you know, what state are they in or what area of the country are they in mostly? I am in East Tennessee. So I've got 14 houses in East Tennessee. I got one in Georgia, but it's the one that should be selling tomorrow. Okay. And roughly what's the average household price? Just to give my listeners also just an idea of, you know, are these $50,000 houses, $500,000 houses? What is that like? I try to stay between 100 and 150. I have some cheap $40,000 houses and I've got some $225,000 houses, but I try to stay in my market. My sweet spot is between 100 and 150. Okay. All right. That's good to know. And there's probably a lot of marketing I'm assuming that you're doing, or I don't know if you have a team of people because A, you've got to find the properties with the actual owners wanting to sell it to you as a vendor take back. And then B, then you've got to look for the tenant buyers who are going to rent to own the property. And I'm using some Canadian terms, so just let me know <laughs> and feel free to um, convert them back into the US terms. But essentially, you're doing a lot of marketing because you've got to market to two different sets of people, correct? I guess you could say it that way. I do a lot of uh, kind of cross marketing okay. so that I am taking up twice as much space with the same thing. So, you know, in all of my posts and all of my Facebook and all of my websites and all of my bandit signs, I'm trying to attract both people at the same time. So what does something look like when you're doing the cross marketing? So what would you have a conversation about or what, you know, what would somebody see? So I like to start with, you know, my goals and my goals are to do this, that and the other and buy these houses in this little honey hole and help out this specific type of seller. So I've created that into a one-liner, kind of like an elevator pitch, so that whoever I'm talking to, I can give the same words, I can give them the same one-liner, and I put enough bait in it that they pick out what they align with, and then whether I you know, said something that they need some help getting rid of a house, or if I said something that they're son or daughter is looking for a house. 
Okay. They pick up on it. It's about how you put the bait out there. And then from there, I just multiply that to Facebook and Instagram. And I wear a button all around town that says I buy houses. I've got bright pink signs. And so I've just kind of branded myself as this is what I do. This is what I'm here for. I've got a real estate license, but I do not list houses. I don't deal with it. Perfect. And so where do most of your tenant buyers come from? Is it Facebook? Is it Instagram? Is it, you know, talking to them and just running into them at the grocery store? How does that work? It's from mostly bandit signs. So I put a sign out in front of the house that says rent to own. Okay. I put a post on Craigslist. I put it out on Facebook on my Whitney Buys Houses Facebook page mm -hmm. and people will share the dickens out of it to all their broke friends. Okay. One of their broke friends ends up having some money and that's how we make the deals happen. And so some buyers, I'm assuming, or some tenants that are going to be buying in the future, you know, your closing ratio, do they nine out of 10 buy or are they all buying ultimately? No, it's terrible. Out of 57 deals, I've had one close. Really? I should have another one tomorrow, but we haven't done it yet. So why do you think that is? People get shiny object syndrome. Okay. And they like this house. They love this house. They like this person they're with. They love this person that they're with. And I don't know if my houses are cursed, but I tend to create divorces and people get divorced and neither one wants the house anymore. Oh, no. So, I mean, I guess that's the kind of stuff you can't really predict ahead of time is the divorces. Now, if one of them wanted to stay and keep paying, has, has that been an option? I mean, it's an option, but I haven't had anybody want to do it. Okay, so they kind of just all back out. Now, are they putting a hefty down payment to get into the house in the first place? They give me ten or $15,000 non-refundable option fee. It's not a down payment because I'm not a mortgage broker. Okay. But they give me a non-refundable option fee to be able to buy the house. I mean, in January of 2017, so a year and a half ago, I had a couple that on the last weekend, they gave me $15,000. The first weekend of February, they got married. The second weekend of February, they moved into the house. So they paid me and then moved in, right? Yeah. By July 4th, which is a big deal here, they weren't together anymore. They were divorced officially in August and he was gone at some point and then she was gone in September. Hmm. Gave me 15,000 in January. They were both out of there by September. In December, I got another guy that gave me $12,000 and here we sit Almost a year later, it's August now, he stopped paying me and he's leaving too. So I made $27,000 on the same house in a year that I had no money invested in. And now I'm about to get somebody else give me a bunch of money on it too. Wow. I mean, I guess it's kind of bittersweet in a way, right? I mean, it's, it's good for you, but it's also unfortunate for those people that are not able to keep paying it or find a way to somehow <laughs> close on it. I mean, you know, it's nice that I'm going to get more money. I'll get 10 or 15,000. Somebody else will move into it. But I was going to get 20 or 30,000 if they actually got their mortgage, you know, so I'm cheering for them to get their mortgage. But they just decide they don't want to. I had one lady give me $40,000 to move in in October. She paid six months rent in advance. Mm -hmm. And by like March or April, she texted me. She was like, hey, you know, I didn't get a job, so I can't make payment next month. And I was like, uh, well, what are you going to do? And she was like, well, actually, my sister bought a house in South Carolina. So I'm just going to move to South Carolina with her. Wow. So it's definitely sounds like it's common out there. So here, <laughs> I don't know if it's, you know, I don't think it's that common to have so many not close as such. I think maybe there are some still some differences between Canada and the U.S. But, you know, what about like 
sometimes like financing or credit help or any of that stuff? Is that something that you offer them or, you know, because that's a lot of money to just throw away as well on their part, right? I have a company because I screen everybody that moves in. So I check their debt to income. I verify their employment or like this lady was moving from Indiana or somewhere. So she didn't have local employment, but she's had six months to get a job. I thought she'd get a job in six months, but she didn't. Mm -hmm. I have a company that does a background check on them, a criminal history check, runs their credit. Like I have a company that does that, a third party company, and Mm -hmm. they have a credit repair division. Right. All I need to do is buy houses and find people that want to buy them from me. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick moment and pause the podcast interview here because I wanted to introduce you to Dahlia Barsoom of Streetwise Mortgages. I am a big believer, as you guys probably have heard, work with a mortgage broker. They are going to help you scale. And when I was first growing in real estate investing and looking to buying my second property and my third property, I was going directly to the bank then. I hadn't met Dahlia yet. And I actually was hitting a roadblock when it came to financing because the bank started asking me for 25% as the down payment. And then for my third property, they wanted 35%. And it was really, really hard for me to A, understand why it was creeping up like that. And B, I didn't have 35% to put down. I had 20%. And luckily, I actually met Dahlia at that point in time. And Dahlia is actually an investor herself. And she works with many, many investors. And she knows all the pitfalls and the barriers that normally come up with dealing directly with a bank and all the different lenders. And Dahlia was actually able to not just find me proper alternatives, but I've got nine properties now and I'm still able to get financing with A lenders and it allows me to be able to scale up without hitting the financing wall. And so she's been a tremendous help. So the other thing I really, really enjoy is Dahlia also does a free goals analysis. So if you go to either my website or her website, streetwisemortgages.com, mention the podcast and ask for the free goals analysis. It was a game changer for me and it allowed me to actually understand what I needed to do, how many properties I was going to get because of the cash flow that I was looking for. If you guys wanted to reach out to Dahlia, you can reach out to her by email, which is info at streetwisemortgages.com or you can actually reach out to her on the website at streetwisemortgages.com and then just go to the contact section. And you can also call her at 1-800-208-6255. Thanks for listening and back to the show. That's cool. So you're doing this full time now, right? Oh, yeah. So did you ever have a nine to five job or did you just go right into real estate? No, when I graduated from college, I went to work for my family's company. Mm-hmm. Mom has four dump truck companies. And I worked for her for seven years and I worked for all four companies. So I was working four jobs when I started investing in real estate. So I was working five jobs for a year and a half before I went full time in real estate. Wow. So I'm sure your life has changed a lot (laughs) since those times. Can you talk to us about, you know, what you have or the ability to live life and how that's changed your life since you really started with your way of investing? Well, you know, I mentioned earlier that my mom does everything kind of the old, slow, boring way. And she actually expected me to be at work at my desk from nine to five, Monday through Friday. And I think that is ridiculous, especially on Fridays. There's no reason 
anybody should have to work after lunch on Fridays. I wanted to go to the lake. I didn't want to be at the desk. So one of my biggest reasons for getting into investing was so that I could start my weekend on Thursday if I wanted to. But I definitely didn't have to just sit and ride the clock until five on Fridays. That's awesome. So are you traveling as well? Does that allow you options to take your family away on vacation or take a you know longer breaks? Well, when I started investing, I was living in Tennessee. My husband was living in Georgia. So we were doing long distance romance and mostly on the weekends. That's why I needed to leave work at noon on the weekend so I could drive to Georgia to get the weekend started. I wanted to see my man (laughs) and I wanted to do that so that I could travel so that I could go somewhere else on the weekends or, you know, I didn't feel like I was just working and going home every day. So now I actually still live in Tennessee. He still lives in Georgia. He works in Florida. So I get to travel to Georgia and Florida every other week. And then once or twice I stay at home and maybe do something in Tennessee or I book a trip to New York. I can do whatever I need to do from anywhere as long as there's cell phone and Internet service. That's why I love real estate investing as well. I mean, you can work from the cottage. You can work overseas. It's just awesome. It is for sure a life changer. Now, is he in real estate as well? He helps me with the apartment complexes. He doesn't really enjoy residential real estate like I do, Okay. but he's definitely more of like a numbers guy and he loves to get suited up and talk to the, you know, dudes and commercial. And I just don't really like it. (laughs) Makes more money. I like that, but I don't like playing their games. Hey, no, everyone's got their way of investing, right? I mean, it's important that you find out what you're good at and what you enjoy doing because investing in real estate, I mean, there's so many different strategies. If something works for you, then, you know. He also really likes the structure of having a job and insurance and, a, you know, 401k. And he likes, you know, because he tried to work for me last summer because I do a lot of coaching and he was trying to help me do that. But it was too much together time and he needed a place where he could go and be, you know, large and in charge. And that just wasn't here. So it just suits him better to have an outside job. And it suits me better to be home and kind of a free bird. Yep, exactly. No problem with that. So you mentioned coaching. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I teach women how to buy these investment houses without banks or a license. I really just focus on women and I'm about half and half between whether they have a license or they don't. Okay. So there's obviously, you know, many differences when it comes to women real estate investors or men real estate investors or, you know, pros and cons. Can you just give us a little bit of a snapshot on that? Well, I think women learn better from women and we just get each other on a different level. And because I've gone through some hurdles because I was a woman, I can relate to them when they go through the same kind of battles. Uh, You know, I've had sellers ask me, you know, well, this all sounds great, but when will your husband be here to negotiate? Right. Like, dude, I just negotiated. (laughs) This was the negotiation. And because I'm young, I've had people say, well, this is great, but is your mom going to co-sign on it? Right. No, no. And like people aren't going to ask a man when their wife's going to be there to do the negotiation. People aren't going to ask a man if their daddy is going to co-sign on it. Like that just doesn't happen. That's true. That can be, I'm sure, very, very frustrating. I mean, I've been really lucky that I haven't had such maybe explicit comments like that. I mean, I've had a couple times people just assume that I'm a realtor (laughs) instead of an investor, but nothing in terms of anything that drastic, but that, you know, that would piss me off. 
Yeah, for sure. So when it comes to coaching, you've got a few different things. I was looking at your website. How how can people get a hold of you? Um, if you'll go to WhitneyNassily.com, mm-hmm. I've got a link on there that people can book a call with me. Uh, WhitneyNassily.com slash group. You can hop into my Facebook group. I'm super mouthy in there every day. Or I'm on YouTube. I got 700 videos on YouTube and I'm pretty much anywhere and everywhere. But definitely WhitneyNassily.com is the best way to get a hold of me. Very cool. So I wanted to ask you a question about YouTube. I was watching some of your YouTube videos and I wanted to know what has been the benefit of going the YouTube route and posting videos for you that you've seen. I love to talk and I love to talk about real estate. I love to talk about different topics and I love to get everybody's panties in a twist about it, too. And the best way to do that is on Facebook and YouTube. The thing about Facebook is, you know, it all kind of dies in 24 hours. But in YouTube, it doesn't even really get going for 30 days. Right. So have you had a lot of people reach out to you from those videos? Because I know some of the listeners that I have are thinking about, you know, even starting a podcast themselves or YouTube channels. And, you know, I'm a big believer in the more that you can put yourself out there, the more easily people can find you. And YouTube channels, like that's like really my next thing that I really want to focus on. So I'm just curious to see even just the benefits that you've been able to see from it from the time that you've been doing it. I just absolutely love my YouTube channel. I'm putting a lot of time and energy and effort into it, especially in the last two months. I've gotten really focused in and done all of the kind of tips and tricks to actually really make it grow. And I make quite a bit of money from people watching me on YouTube and then signing up for one of my programs. I think that's also because of the volume I have on YouTube. You know, you can people binge watch me all night and then buy because they're like, we're BFF. I know everything about her now. I think it's true. Like it creates a sense of, you know, you're not going anywhere. You're not like a fly by night type of person. They can hear the education, like feel like they have access to you. So I think anyone that's thinking about doing that, whether it's even a podcast or a YouTube channel or something. I mean, I've recently just in the past, you know, couple years really started, you know, putting content out there and it definitely has helped a ton of people, which is what, you know, what my goal is ultimately. So yeah, as much as you can do as often as you can do it. Awesome. So Whitney, so the next little part of our podcast is called the lightning round. It's I'm going to ask you a series of five questions. Everybody gets the same question. So just answer the first thing that comes to mind. You ready? Yep. Perfect. So question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book ever? The One Minute Millionaire. Okay. I don't think I've actually read that one. Is it good? I love it. It's actually two books in one. It tells like the left side of the page is like a mindset book and it goes through different strategies to keep your head in the game. And then the right side of the pages is like an actual story who of a lady who's going through all the mindset work. So it really helps me. I listen to it because the audio goes straight through one book and then straight through the other and then it makes more sense i was driving myself crazy trying to read it every other page (laughs) okay very cool yeah i was just curious to hear a little bit more about what it was about awesome i'll have to get that one uh question number two what about your favorite podcast this one (laughs) have you listened to an episode (laughs) well this has been my favorite episode that you've had okay (laughs) okay so other than mine though what's your favorite podcast Uh, I have an old podcast. I haven't updated. It's probably timed out. I don't know. I don't listen to many podcasts, actually. Okay, no worries. All good. Number three, what do you do for fun aside from real estate investing? 
I go to the lake. I absolutely love being on a boat and being on the water. I'll even go to the ocean, but I would prefer to go to the lake. Okay, very cool. And number four, if you lost all your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? I would just start buying houses. It takes 10 bucks and a phone. Okay. And last question, number five, if somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend that they spend that money? I would recommend they did a lot of research, but also that they had somebody to help guide them towards what their actual goals are. And so I would tell them to invest in education, mentorship, and research. Okay. All right. Great answers. So that was our lightning round. Thank you so much for playing that. That was awesome. (laughs) You did good. And so before we wrap up the podcast, do you have any last final words of advice or anything else that you would like to let the listeners know? Yeah, just get out there and keep going. I mean, whether it's going your way or whether this is not looking very good, keep going. I talked to a lady earlier that she's got a deal that's, you know, kind of crumbling in her hand. But she's met a lot of really great people and started other relationships. One of her property managers come out of this deal. So keep going, even if it looks like a dead deal, something good is going to come out of it. Perfect. That's great advice. And on that note, thank you very much, Whitney, for being on Where Should I Invest? I really appreciate your insights and your really unique strategy because it is definitely something different that we haven't covered yet. So thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.